Thank you so much. You, you may be seated. You may be seated. What a beautiful spirit here tonight. Give honor to Bishop and Sister Chavis, to uh, Brother and Sister Batson, our good friends, and uh, Brother and Sister Weir, Brother and Sister Spooner. I told my wife, I said, this is some place you want to go, Sister Osborne. You know, she doesn't go every place with me, but um, some places I, when I get home, I say, you can be glad you didn't go. Uh, you know, you're, my dad would say runt, you're runt, you know, you're ruined because you have it. You have such a beautiful church, such a beautiful spirit, such a great pastor, pastoral family to watch over you and guide you. There wasn't much hope of you getting a good pastor in the old Testament. Like the old Testament doesn't say much good about pastors. They're sheep thieves and, you know, run the sheep off and, uh, eat the lambs and what have you. But uh, the Lord made a promise that I'm going to give you a pastor after my own heart. And he did that very thing when he gave you, Brother Sister Chavis, he gave you a pastor after the heart of God. And Brother Tim Spell is my good friend. We get the chance to be together some. And uh, nobody I'd rather minister with than than him. And he's a good preacher in his own right. He just Some people think when you think of Brother Spell, you think about a singer. But he's a great preacher, you know. A lot of people can a lot of people can can sing and they need to stick to singing. Other people can preach they need to stick to. I, I, I. <laughs> Brother Spell is such a composite man and he can do it so well, so many things so well. I'm so grateful for that. There was a conversation between two good friends. That was Sherlock Holmes and Doctor Watson. They went on a camping trip and after a good dinner and a bottle of wine, they weren't apostolic, by the way. They retired for the night and go to sleep. And some hours later, Holmes wakes up and nudges his faithful friend Watson. He says, look up at the sky and tell me what you see. And Watson says, I see millions and millions of stars, Holmes, replies Watson. And what do you deduce from that? Watson ponders for a minute and he says, well, astronomically, I tell me that there are millions of galaxies and potential millions of planets. And astrologically, I observe that Saturn is in Leo Horologically, I deduce that the time is approximately a quarter past three. Meteorologically, I suspect that we will have a beautiful day tomorrow. Theologically, I can see that God is all-powerful and that we are a small and insignificant part of the universe. But what does that tell you, Holmes? Holmes is silent for a moment. He says, Watson, you idiot, someone stole our tent. That's... We can make this very complicated tonight, or we make this very simple, you know. Theologically, horologically, astrologically, you know, we can determine the weather and we get really involved in it. But uh, we try to be as simple as we can from the Word of God, not get too... I was, I was studying before, I was, before we came, and as my luck would have it, uh, a pastor friend of mine called me, and I said... Why do people call right at the most critical moment? I'm just trying to focus my mind and my heart on what I want to minister to you tonight. And then you get a phone call, and he was rambling on and on and on, sometimes like people do, because they don't realize it's very critical. You know, time to them is irrelevant, especially to a preacher. And uh, it wasn't very long that he began sobbing and just crying. I mean, he just broke down and uh, began to pour his heart out to me, and I felt so 
bad because I'd been so, I was trying to write a few things. Yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, well, I know what you mean. And I was trying to write something. Yeah, well, I'm sorry about that. And then I'm trying to write something. Yeah, yeah, are you, st- yeah, I'm still here. I'm still here, you know. It's kind of that kind of conversation. I really wasn't, I wasn't being a, a, bit, a very good listener until he broke down, began to sob and cry and just, just really, just really have a breakdown over the telephone. And I was looking at this particular message when, when he called and, uh, I thought, well, maybe this is God speaking to my heart for you tonight. And so I'm going to try to minister the word of God to you. Thank you for all the good singing, all the good worship that you've done. Stand with me more time. If you would, please. The book of first Corinthians, the ninth chapter, verse 24 through 27, 37 years of ministry. Here, this church, this great bishop and his precious wife, first lady of this church. First Corinthians, the ninth chapter, beginning in verse 24 through 27, Hebrews 12 and 1. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that you may obtain. And every man that striveth for mastery is temperate. In all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Hebrews 12 and 1. Wherefore, seeing we are also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which just easily, so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And uh, I want to uh, minister to you tonight uh, on this subject. It's really not a part of my text, but I'm going to do my job to make it a part of my text. On this subject, Heartbreak Hill. Heartbreak Hill. Let's ask God to help us tonight to be recipients of the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, for your Word. It's forever settled in heaven. Every jot, every tittle, dear God. We may fuss and fight and argue over it, God, but you have settled it, Lord, in heaven. I love you tonight, God, for your Word. I pray that you'll anoint it one more time. You'll anoint the lips of clay. Take from my mind any error, dear God, any confusion, Lord. Let me choose acceptable words. Let them be as apples of gold and pitchers of silver. Heaven, to do your will, dear God, to see as you see, think as you think, speak as you speak, dear God. Let me catch your heartbeat tonight, Lord. Help me, dear God. Bless everything we say or do. Let the words of my lips, the meditations of my heart, let them be acceptable to you tonight, God. I will give you the praise. I give you the glory forever and ever and ever. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The great apostle Paul uses the analogy of a race to depict the life and discipline necessary to succeed in living a New Testament life for the Lord. Uh, Paul uses the example of running in these, to these Greeks because they're very familiar with the Olympics and the athleticism that is necessary to win. The race Paul is referring to is not a sprint, but as you well know, it is rather a marathon. It is not a race of speed but rather a race of endurance. 
Uh, there will be many who enter the race, he says, many who will buy into the race, but there is only one prize, and that is for the one who wins. There will be no bronze, no silver, no second or third. You know, if winning the race is your objective, then it mans a certain lifestyle that goes beyond just running. He says you must be temperate in all things. Everybody say all things. Not just temperate in your running, you have to be temperate in all things. That is, you have to avoid excess, and you have to have moderation in your appetite and in your desires, and you've got to stay within certain limits, and you've got to be constant, and you've got to be even, you've got to be steady, and can't have any self-indulgence, and you've got to restrain your flesh and, and, and bring it under subjection. You've got to regulate your appetite. You've got to be sober-minded, and, and he says you've got to be patient. That is, you've got to be submissive. You have to be, have self-control. There's no rebellion, but, but you have to endure without complaint if you're ever going to think about winning this race. It's hard to, not hard to see, really, how the great Apostle Paul makes the leap from running a marathon race to living for God. Because you can well see, and it's been preached a hundred times before, I'm sure, that the life disciplines are the same. If you plan on winning the race set before you, everything in your life has to be geared toward the end of the winning of that race. Not just a few things, but everything has to be geared to the winning of that race. You have to be tempered in all things if you plan on making heaven your home. Tempered in all things. I, I was thinking here the other day, if I was God, I would just close hell down. I mean, since there ain't nobody going there anyway. You know, uh, you just as well. You got to turn the burners off and kill the furnace and hang a sign outside, you know, because uh, you can't keep a Taco Bell open if ain't nobody going there, you know. And um, from what I hear, ain't nobody going there anymore, so I just shut her down. But uh, I believe hell's still wide open. I don't know about... Ain't many people going in there anymore, don't seem like, but God's still got a place. That's why I'm still running my race, and I, and I have to be tempered in a lot of different things. I have to temper my life, you know. Uh, Paul said, all things are lawful, but all things are not expedient. Not everything will help me in this race. It's not against the law to wear it, but it might not help me win my race. We were doing this walkathon. I don't know if we ever have walkathons around here. Not back in my younger years. We had a walkathon. You, you get people to pledge money for how many, how far you walk. You know, and you for every mile you walk. We were going to walk about 18 miles to a little city, little town outside there called Greenfield. We had this new convert that had, he hadn't had the Holy Ghost very long. And he come in, and you know he is all wired up. And he had these, you know, them platform shoes that you, you them great big high platform shoes. He had a pair of them big high platform shoes on. You know, and he was going to walk this marathon 18 miles in them in them big old high platform shoes and I knew he probably wouldn't get out of the parking lot with them things on before he broke his ankle now you know and he's not he's I'm not only going to walk to Greenfield I'm walking home from Greenfield you know he wasn't he didn't walk two blocks he had callous of big old water blisters hanging off his heels turned both ankles fell off them big old platform shoes you know and, and we had to go get a car and pick him up and haul him back to he is crying and moaning back to laying back there in the parking lot of the church, you know. It's not against the law to wear platform shoes, but it's not expedient. It's not going to help you win the race, you know. It's not going to help you get the job done. It's not, it's not, whoa, it's against the law to wear them shoes. Well, it doesn't mean you ain't going to, you probably ain't going to win because you got to be tempered in a lot of your areas of your life. The, the title of this message is Heartbreak Hill. And this is a term used by runners to describe the most difficult part of a long distance course. And it usually lies about three-fourths of the way into the run. A Heartbreak Hill was coined uh, at the Boston Marathon. 
And the Boston Marathon is 26.22 miles. It is considered to be one of the more difficult marathon courses, and it's because of what is referred to as the Newton Hills, which culminate in Heartbreak Hill near Boston College. While the three hills on the Commonwealth Avenue are better known, a preceding hill on Washington Street, Route 16, climbing from Charles River, uh, crossing at 16 miles, is regarded by Dave McGillivary, the long-term race director, as the course's most difficult challenge because this hill follows a 150-foot drop in a half-mile stretch, and it forces many lesser-trained runners to a walking pace. Heartbreak Hill is an ascent over just four-tenths of a mile of the Boston Marathon. It's a very small portion of the Boston Marathon. It's four-tenths of a mile is all Heartbreak Hill really is. It is the last of four of what's called the Newton Hills. They begin at the 16-mile mark and go to the 21-mile mark, heartbreak being the last one. The Newton Hills confound contestants by forcing a late climb after the downhill trend of the race to that point because the Boston Marathon is mostly downhill. It is mostly downhill. And you don't hit an uphill till you hit the three Newton Hills. And they don't come until after the 16-mile marker. And so it confounds young, young runners and men who have not trained properly because Heartbreak Hill itself rises only 88 vertical feet from an elevation of 148 feet at the bottom to an elevation of 236 feet at the top. But it's positioned, I want you to get this, it's positioned at a point on the marathon course where muscles glycogen stores are likely to be depleted. Heartbreak Hill comes right at a point in the race when you have likely already expended yourself and the energy from your muscles that it would take to get over it. Isn't it weird that they put it right at a point when you are at your weakest condition? You come to a place referred to as Heartbreak Hill. It's a point in the marathon where muscles glycogen stores are likely depleted. Its phenomenon is referred to by marathoners as hitting the wall. It's no accident that many marathon runners hit the wall at around 20 miles because that's when they run out of glycogen and they become hypoglycemic. The, the initial effects of hitting the marathon wall and hypoglycemia are physical in nature. Your muscles fatigue and your pace slows and your brain runs on glycogen just as your muscles do. So your brain takes priority over your muscles. So when you run low on glycogen, your brain takes what's left and your muscles must fend for themselves. As your glycogen levels plummet even lower, your brain begins to suffer from the effects of hypoglycemia and you call what hit the wall. And as a result, your brain starts to feel like it's in a fog. You become confused. Your willpower drops and you become very emotional. There have been grown men crying like a baby at the final mile of a marathon. It's easy for the first 12 miles because the hype is looming large in your consciousness. There are college girls cheering you rather loudly, which adds to even the kick in your stride. The elevation-wise is pretty much even downhill for the first 12 miles or so. Most first-timers will run too fast during those 12 miles, then get a nasty wake-up call at the first hill they encounter after the 12-mile mark. When men are determining the course for a marathon race, a heartbreak hill is a prerequisite.
It is there by design. It is there by intent. And it's there for a purpose. It's to separate the honest contenders from the social runners. Because prior to the start of the race, there would appear to be equity among the participants. They're all equally equipped. They've all got their $500 shoes on, you know. They got the $300 watch on their wrist. They got their little jogging togs on, you know. They got their little, you know, they all got the little water bottles on the side. They got the little gloves with the fingers out of them, you know. And they got their little sweatbands on their little pointy heads. And they're all out there, you know, and acting like they're all out there. You can't tell a winner from a loser. They all look about the same out there. You know, stopwatches, lean trim, they're zealous for the race to begin. They're shaking their hands at the sound of the gun. Sometimes there's two or three thousand contestants. And yet a few honest contenders who seldom lead until after Heartbreak Hill. Indianapolis is the home of the 500-mile race. 33 cars on the track. But the reality is there are only three or four real contenders. Only three or four. A lot of contestants. But only three or four real contenders. In NASCAR, they'll have them all on the track. But you know, there's some of the no names and guys got on there, worked on in their garages and what have you. You know, they don't have the backing. They don't have the money. They don't have the mechanics. But they got in the race. But there are a few honest contenders. You know, in the Kentucky Derby. You know, they got all the horses there all lined up, you know, and everybody's excited, got the big hats on and everything, drinking them funny-looking drinks, and not what you've been drinking either, brother. They're drinking some of them, got umbrellas hanging out and all that kind of stuff, you know, and everybody's ready. And they call them all to the, they all come prancing them. The horses all look about the same, you know, little jockeys sitting up there like a miniature man sitting up there, you know. You can't tell, but the jockey's got hat, you know, he's got, got the whip, you know, and horses all named da-da-do-da and all this kind of stuff, you know, and named them after the third wife or something. And they're all out there and look, get them all in the, get them all locked up in the cage. They all look pretty much the same. But they're actually in that race, there are only few honest contenders that actually are going to contend for the race. You know, because in every race, everybody in it is a contestant. Because to be a contestant, you just have to pay your entry fee. You have to get you some racing, jogging togs, whatever you're going to wear, you know. That's all you got to do. I don't guess there's anything against the law. You can throw your old uh, a saddle on an old gray mare. I guess you got the money. Put her in the race, you know. And uh, she can be old sway back, what have you. But you do have a few contenders in the race. A few, a few horses that you say, well, this, these are real contenders right here. You got a lot of contestants because in a contestant, you just have to pay the fee. You have to fill out the application. You got to enter into the conflict, enter the struggle, enter the battle. But if you're a real contender, then you realize you're going to go beyond the normal limits. You're going to extend yourself without breaking, and you're going to go the full length of the race. I am glad tonight to be able to be around some men and women who are not just contestants, but men and women who are honest contenders. Honest contenders for this glorious race that you and I are involved in. All equally equipped at the sound of the gun. All 3,000 contestants all take off. But seldom lead. You know, the guy wants to get out in front. Don't pay no attention to the guy in front. Don't pay no attention to the front runners. Not until they have come 
to heartbreak hill. Because after heartbreak hill, then the contenders take over. Now the ones that have an honest chance to win the race, they sprint to the front and they are now the forerunners. The strategy of heartbreak hill, listen to me. The strategy of heartbreak hill is to weed out the novice. Get rid of the amateur. Get rid of the social wonder. Weed out the weekend enthusiast. Because Heartbreak Hill requires more than fancy shoes and colored shirts and striped britches. Heartbreak Hill nullifies everything but stamina, physical and mental conditioning, training, desire, discipline, and the will to win. Because if you don't have that, you will never make it over Heartbreak Hill. I don't care how colorful you are. I don't care how well you start the race. I don't care how fast you run the first 12 miles. First 12 miles have nothing to do with the checkered flag. And contenders never lead until after heartbreak. Because heartbreak hill weeds out the weekend enthusiasts. It weeks out the guy who said, hey, babe, listen, you mean you can go run the marathon today. All right. Come out there, big old belly hanging over his britches, you know. and Got a pair of number 16 clod hoppers on, you know. He ain't, he's a contestant, but he ain't a contender, you know. Because Heartbreak Hill's going to weed him out, I promise you that. Heartbreak Hill's going to weed him out. Because that Heartbreak Hill is located and comes when fatigue is a factor. It's when fatigue is a factor. Understand, when you get down and you get hypoglycemic spiritually, and you feel like your muscles is running on nothing... And your brain begins to be a little dizzy. You understand, you're looking now at Heartbreak Hill. And only those who are willing to contend. The word contend means to stretch out. It comes a time in your life when you've got to stretch out a little. You've got to push a little farther. You've got to bear down a little more. You're not a weekender. This is not something I do for a pastime. This is not something. You know, I was talking to some boys on the airplane. And, and, and some, some black boys. And, and they would look like they weighed about, look like it's built like thermometers. You know, just little skinny. You look like had legs. Their legs went clear of their armpits. And I, I said, I said, what are you boys doing? They're sitting beside me on this plane. He says, we're going to run in a marathon in Bloomington, Indiana. I said, whoa, you look like marathon runners, man. I'm going to they went bigger than that, pull, that, that, that microphone stand right there, you know. And I said, where are you boys from? They said, we're Ethiopia. They was talking a little broken English, you know. I said, how come you boys can run so fast? You know, these white guys, these, these American guys come waddling out there. You look like a duck waddling out there, you know. And, and you guys leave them, man. You just run like the wind, you know. And you can tell, you can tell these guys, guys, you just well pack your little bag, your little grip, and go on back to the house, you know. You're a contestant, but you ain't no contender. These boys say, you know, we run uphill all of our lives. That's how we do it. We run uphill. We don't run downhill. We walk downhill, but we run uphill all of our lives. All of our lives, we're running uphill. So when we get to heartbreak hill, it don't have no effect on us. We've been running uphill all of our lives. We stretch ourselves. We persevere. We're not in this for the weekend. We're not in this for show. We're not amateurs. We're professionals. This is what we do. We're tempered at all things. Because Heartbreak Hill is located when fatigue becomes a factor in your life. First 12 miles of Boston Marathon is all downhill. You get out there all girly looking, you know, and you're running, you ain't even broke a sweat. You think you're going to really be something, you know. 
And boys get now I'm not a runner. You can say, look at me, I ain't no runner, you know. I run the mailbox, I'm sucking air like a jet engine, you know, so I ain't, I ain't hurting nobody but running, you know. Ain't gonna be no running. I'm gonna cheer you while you run, but I ain't gonna do a whole lot of running. I'm gonna, I'm gonna clap and cheer you on your way. I'll wave the flag at the end, but I ain't gonna do a lot of running. But, you know, uh, these boys, these boys that really run, they don't just run on the weekends. They don't eat like a horse all week long, you know. You don't go eat you a big old double pepperoni pizza and, and, and go by and get you a big, uh, 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 Subway 12 inch sandwich, shove that thing down your gullet and, you know, drink your quarter root beer and a little warm potato salad and get out there and think you're going to run. That one time you hit that first hill, you be laying over in the grass someplace begging for your mama to come and get you. Sound like a spank baby, you know. Uh, spank baby over there in the weeds someplace like that boy them go platform shoes on get out there trying to walk with them them old flunky looking shoes on you know and because when you get to heartbreak hill it's located where fatigue has become a problem and heartbreak hill is is it one of the most lonely places on the marathon race because there's no one there to cheer you on Ain't no, I know college girls out there saying, yeah, Rob, come on, we know you can do it. Ain't nobody hands you a banana. Ain't nobody give you a little bit of Gatorade. Ain't nobody there say, you can do it, bud. You keep it up. You just keep going. You know, put one foot in front of another. Come on, you can do it. Ain't nobody to cheer you on. All that was done back there at the 12 miles, you know. If that can't get you over Heartbreak Hill, you ain't getting over it. Because there ain't nobody there to cheer you over it. It's a lonely place. It's a place where you have to set your own pace. And there's no visible finish line in sight. They hit it. They put heartbreak hill in a strategic place. Because they don't want you to win because you're an amateur. You're a weekend warrior. You're a guy out there to flirt with the girls. You're out there to show off. And they fix the race so that you ain't got a chance. But if you're a contender, honest contender, and you're willing to stay in the pack, and just pace yourself and be steady. You know, I'd rather have a steady warrior for God. I pastor church. I'd rather have a steady man or a, a woman and just walk steady. Just be steady with God. Just put one foot in front of another. Put one foot in front of another. You don't have to just put one foot in. Just be steady with God. These folks that bust out running right off the bat, you know, about the 12 mile mark. They say most runners expend themselves in the first 12 miles. But Heartbreak Hill is there specifically for the purpose of weeding you out. Because amateur is not going to run, win this marathon race. He's got to have a man that's conditioned himself, who has trained himself and purposed in his heart that he has been temperate in all things, that he might finish the course that was set before him. It is imperative when there's no one to refresh you, when there's no one to minister to you, and there's no one to discipline you and keep pace for you. No one to keep stride for you. Nobody for you to run in their wake. That you have prepared yourself for Heartbreak Hill. I'll tell you the men and women who are survivors in this apostolic realm. They're men like your pastor, the bishop and his wife. You think they have not been to Heartbreak Hill in their life? You think they have not been to that place that looks like your tears are your meat, David said, both day and night? 
lay upon your bed and weary yourself. There have been many men that started the race when your pastor started. Many young ladies started when your pastor's wife started in the race. But you know what? Somewhere along the way, it was all downhill to begin with. But they begin about 16 mile marker. Things begin to change. The elevation got a little steeper. Things got a little more torturous, you know. And your muscles begin to burn in the back of your legs. And your brain gets a little foggy. And you wonder whether you can go on anymore or not. That's when you got to be disciplined. That's when you got to stretch yourself out. You got to stretch yourself. You got to stretch. You got to stretch yourself. You see, I can't make it. Yes, you can make it. But you got to stretch yourself a little bit. No, you can't make it jogging like you did the first 12 miles. But when you come to Heartbreak Hill, that's when you have to stretch yourself. If you're a contender, you got to go beyond just what you started out with. You got to have a little extra kick there somewhere that you draw upon. It pulls you a little bit farther. Something's got to wake up inside of you at Heartbreak Hill. You show me a man or a woman that's ever mounted anything in their lives. They've served God for any length of time. And I promise you, they have been there. The Heartbreak Hill. And they're leaders now. Because everybody wants to be a leader. Oh yeah, I want to be a level Sunday school leader. I want to be a youth leader. I want to be, I want to, da, 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 da. I want to be a leader. I want to be a leader. I want to be a leader. Yeah, because you're at the 12 mile marker. You've been running downhill all the time. I'll tell you what to make a leader out of you. Let God break your heart. And see if you can get over that. But if you can get over a broken heart, now you qualify to be a leader. Because all leaders have to make it over brokenness. Broken hearts and broken minds and broken spirits and broken nights and broken dreams and broken ambitions. And if you can't get over that, you'll never be a leader. You'll never be a leader. Those leaders don't rise up like the cream until after heartbreak hill. They don't care who leads first 12 miles. Run on out there and show off. Run on out there and be the big dog among them. But you see that guy in the back? He's sinewy. He's pacing himself. He knows what's ahead. Because <laughs> I looked over the course. And I know what's lying ahead. And when your brain gets foggy <laughs> and your legs get wobbly, all of a sudden you hear something coming up on your heels. Whoom. <laughs> there goes a leader behind you. Right around your side. Leave you in the dust. Because he's trained himself. Disciplined his life to be able to get over Heartbreak Hill. Nobody there to refresh you. Nobody there you're telling good. You're doing good. You know, everything goes good for a while. You know, everything goes good for a while. First 12 miles of marathons, most of the time, are pretty easy. It's not till 16th mile marker. The people that lay marathons out, they don't lay them out. So what's the thing? It'd be a good idea if we go this way and go this way. No, 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 no. They lay it out with something in mind. They, they, the, the thought process goes into it. But you know when God laid your life out ahead of you, God knew what you'd be facing. Don't you think hey, the good striving steps of the steps of a good man have been ordered by the Lord? I ordered some things in your life. I put some obstacles out there. I put some things in your life. I ordered some things in your life. Because I want to see if you've got what it takes to come. You know, them horses make that last turn. You know what you call that? Making that last turn on it. What do they call that? Coming down... 
coming down the stretch. That's when the old horse is going to stretch it out now, buddy. Hey, lay the whip to the back of him, man. And that's when it separates. They don't care who leads in that first turn. But, buddy, when they come down that stretch, it separates the contenders from the contestants. Because that old horse stretches out. His neck goes out. And sometimes he wins by nose because he stretches a little bit further than the other man stretched. I'm stretching with everything that I've got in this last leg of the race. We're coming down the stretch, folks. We're coming down the stretch. You can't get over Heartbreak Hill. You know, Elimelech and Naomi's a famine in the land. And, you know, he ain't hanging around through no famine. There ain't no bread in Bethlehem, the house of bread. Things are wrong. So he packs up his little wife and his his sons and they head off to Moab. You know, Moab's just about 50 miles away. It's a funny thing how you can have a famine in one place and 50 miles away there's plenty to eat. Or they think there's plenty to eat. So they pack a little grip up and they, they get out of Dodge. They go over to Moab and, oh, Daddy, you're so smart. Daddy, you're so bright. They're eating, you know, got big old pork chops. And they, well, not pork chops, they're juicy. They got a big old leg of lamb or whatever they got, you know. Leg of lamb, yeah. And they're eating, you know, Daddy, you're so glad we didn't stay in Bethlehem. You're, you're so wise and so smart, you know. Until one of the sons gets sick and, and, and bites the dust, you know. And, well, Daddy, you know, you're still a pretty smart man, you know. And, and, and then the other boy dies. And uh, they're always thinking, Dad, you know, maybe we shouldn't have come here. And Dad said, well, you know, you might be right. Next thing you know, Dad dies. You know, the first 16, first 16 miles, you're running. First 16 miles, you're doing good. First 16 miles, you're the smartest man on the planet. Well, most of us downhill anyway, you know. First 16 miles, everything is great in your life. Naomi's sitting there. She's all she's got left, two daughters-in-laws. She's hit the wall. She has hit the wall. Her mind is cloudy. She don't have, she's thinking, you know, won't you just bury me here in Moab? You know, there's my father, there's my, there's my, there's my husband. Here's my number one son. There's my number two son. Just put me a headstone right there in the middle of them and just bury me here at, at, at Moab. Because she's at the wall. You know, she's at Heartbreak Hill. That's where she's at. She's at the place that breaks your heart. It just rips your heart out, you know. Tears your heart out. Maybe some of you are going through that right now. She's just sitting there wondering, what on earth have we done? We left the house of bread. And now then, we're at Heartbreak Hill. I thought we could do better than this, but they didn't. But the Bible said she got word somehow that there was bread back at the house of bread. The Bible said she got up from where she was at, like you could get up from somewhere else. You know. I mean, you pretty much got to get up from wherever you're at, you know. You can't get up from where you wish you were at. You can't get up from where you ought to be at. You can't get up from where you need to be at. you got to get up from where you're at. Now, this happened to be in Moab. But you know, it takes a certain amount of courage to get up from where you're at. It takes a certain amount of courage to say, listen, I can sit here and die. Or I've heard there's bread in Bethlehem. Maybe I ought to get up from where I'm at and get back to where I should have been at all along. She got up and packed a little grip. Said, I'm going to go back to, I'm going to go back to house of bread because I heard his bread back there. And, and, and Ruth and, and, and Orpha said, you know, we're going to go with you. We're going to go with you. So they both fill out their application, got their jogging shoes on, running shoes on, put a little number on their back. 
took off with her. She said, now, girls, you know, look at me. Look at me. I'm old, beat up. An old woman. Ain't going to have no more kids. You know, I ain't got no more sons than me. Even if I could find a man that would have me. And, and, and I could bear a child. You're going to wait around till I can raise him up old enough for you to marry him? You know, and that began to weigh on Orpha's mind. You know, you pretty much got a point here. You know, I don't want to die an old maid. I've been married. I want to have kids. I want to have a family. You know, so, you know, she fell out. She kissed her and turned around, went back to the starting line again. Back to Moab. She said, Ruth, won't you pack up and go back to? You need to go back. I ain't got no more babies than me. You need to go on back to. But Ruth began to stretch herself a little. You know, she began to stretch. You know, when it comes hard times, you got to stretch. You got to stretch. You got to, I mean, you, I mean, you, you got two contestants, but you only got one contender. Just because you entered the race don't mean you're going to win the race. You got to contend. The Bible said, earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. You got to earnestly, you got to stretch yourself for this. If you want it bad enough, stretch a little for it. She said, listen, I'm going to go with you. And your, 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 your people are going to be my people. And where they bury you, they're going to bury me. And your God's going to be my God. And I ain't going to let nothing separate me from you because I'm going with you all the way. And when Naomi saw she was fit, she was going to run all the way. They just climbed right over Heartbreak Hill, come right on down the other side of it, and went right on in to the land where there's a house of bread. Now, let me back up to another little story here. And I'm going quickly because I know you got other things to do. But let me I'm going to stay, everybody stay right where I'm at. All right? She's walking in. She's walking into to she's walking into Bethlehem. You with me on this? It's like a soap opera. You got a lot of things going on here. She goes. In, let me back up a little bit. And over here is another time when they march around the walls of Jericho and they march around the walls of Jericho. You know, and they march around. You know how they march around the walls of Jericho and the Jericho walls fell down. There was a woman there named Rahab. She was a harlot. You remember her? She was a harlot. She lived in Jericho. She hid the spies. He said, "Give me a." Sure sign that you're going to spare me. She said, put the scarlet cord out your window. And we see that scarlet cord hanging out your window. We, we, the walls of Jericho are going to fall down, but that's going to keep standing. She said, can you get all your family and bring them into that house? Keep them all in the scarlet thread, and, and, and they'll all be saved too. So she went out in the neighbors. She went out on the streets and lanes. I'm not sure everybody would want to go to a harlot's house. She probably reason she didn't have nobody in her house because of the house she ran, you know. It's hard to get your family to say, come on over to my house. I don't know whether they want to bring the kids over there or not, you know. So she had a lot of stuff to mediate to get folks to come to her house. Her mama, her daddy, her aunts, her uncles, her cousins, nieces, nephews. She had a lot of mediation to go on to get them to come to her house. So she did it until she got out in the street because she's not just a contestant. She is a contender. She stretches herself. One woman out of all of Jericho stretches herself. Stretches herself. And when the walls of Jericho fell flat, the Bible said her house was standing and the Bible will tell you this. She, she resided in Israel until the day the Bible was written. She said she resides unto Israel until this day. You know, she got married and she married a little Israeli boy. And his name was Salmon. And Rahab and Salmon had a little boy named Boaz. Now back to mother's story. When Ruth and Naomi came into the city, Ruth went out to glean in the field and whose field did she glean in? 
She gleaned in the field of Boaz. Because he had a harlot for a mama. And Naomi had a Moabite for a mama. Both of them worthless. But God honors people who will contend. Who will stretch themselves beyond. God, I don't care who your daddy was, who your mama was, who your family heritage in. If you'll contend for this, God will put you in it. God will save you. God will do something amazing in your life. If you'll stretch yourself a little. Stretch yourself a little. They fell in love. Two of the most unlikely people on the planet. A heartless daughter, good heartless son, for Pete's sake. And a Moab who was the product of incest between Lot and his daughter. The Moabites, the Ammonites came from that. So you got a boy born of incest and you got a girl born of a harlot. But they get together because they're contenders. They're not just a million contestants. Because the Bible's full of contestants. But the Bible's only got a few contenders. And if you look at the bloodline of Jesus Christ, he only puts contenders in there. He don't put contestants. You look in the bloodline of Jesus Christ and you'll find Rahab. You'll find Salmon. They got together, Rahab and Boaz, and had a little baby named Obed. Cutest little thing you ever seen. And Ruth even nursed him, poured a little of herself into him. Naomi nursed him, poured a little of herself into him. He got big. He got married. He had a little boy named Jesse. Jesse grew up. He had a little boy named David. David had a little boy on down through the genealogies by the name of Jesus Christ, who are the contenders of our faith. You have the Holy Ghost tonight, not out of contestants, but you have the Holy Ghost because of people who contended, who stretched themselves beyond the normal. Stretched themselves just a little. And God put you in the bloodline. I don't care who your mama was or who your daddy was or what your ancestry is. It's irrelevant to God if you contend for the faith. But heartbreak hill brings out the contenders and separates them from the contestants. A lot of contestants. A lot of churches full of people. Of course, they know none, they none going to hell. But A lot of contestants. But just a few honest contenders that actually will stretch themselves to get to church. They stretch themselves to come to the altar. They stretch themselves to sing in the praise team and do the rehearsals. They stretch themselves to pastor the church. You think, listen, has Chavis ever stretched themselves? You think their finances ever got stretched a little bit? You think they're... You think their home ever got stretched a little bit? You think raising their family ever got stretched a little bit? If you're a contender, you gotta stretch. You gotta stretch. You gotta press. You gotta be disciplined in all things, not just a few things. Because if you haven't been there yet, Heartbreak Hill is just up ahead. It's just up ahead. And if you can't get over it, you'd have been better off. To have never started the race. That's what your Bible would teach you. But better had you never started the race. Than to start it and give up. Surrender to it. Sometimes your brain will get cloudy. You say I don't even know what to do God. I don't know where to go. I came and think straight. You know because you're getting hypoglycemic spiritually. You know your brain starts starving. Because you're at that place of breaking. That place of breaking.
But unless a corn of feet, unless a corn of wheat falls to the ground and is broken, it abideth alone. It just abideth alone. The Bible says that, you know, you know, cornbread or cornmeal or that that's going to make bread has to be broken. It has to be crushed to be able to make the bread. If you're going to feed somebody, if you're going to feed a hungry generation, it takes the people that are willing to be broken. And it's Heartbreak Hill that does that to you. But it separates the contestants from the contenders. Are you a contender? Or are you just a contestant? It don't take much to be a contestant. Not all that much. You just got to enter the contest. Enter the contest. Repent. Baptize in Jesus' name. He'll fill you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not minimizing that. I'd put you in the race. I'd put you in the race. But God has ordered some things. This is a marathon, not a sprint. And there's going to be some hills. And there are going to be some valleys. There are going to be some lonely times. And nobody there to cheer you on. The brother sang about sometimes I cry. Sometimes I cry. Because it happens to every contender. Sometimes you cry. Because this race will break your heart. But I know a mender tonight. I know a mender. Stand with me. He's the great mender. He's the great mender. He's the great mender. He menders our, he mends our broken heart. You think God didn't know what he was doing when he made that hill for you? He made that hill for you. You're young, sometimes young men, they look at the older generation with somewhat of contempt. Don't you ever look down your nose at a gray head or a stooped shoulder or a furrowed brow? Because the race you're running is mostly downhill. You wait till your heart's been broken and come back and talk to me about it. Let him not that putting on his armor boasteth against him who's taking off his armor. Because a guy putting on his armor is going to boast about what he's going to do. But a guy taking off his armor is boasting about what he's done. You can talk about what you're going to do, but wait till you get to the hill. Wait till you get to that part that rends your heart. That part that you think you're not going to make it. That part that makes you cry. But that's where leaders are born. That's where greatness is born. That's where preachers are born. That's where evangelists and missionaries are birthed. Right at Heartbreak Hill. Because I don't care who leads up to that point. I just want to be in the race on the other side. I've got to be in the race on the other side. Thank you, Jesus. 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 I'm coming down the stretch. If you're here tonight, I'll make this plea for you. I, I don't know who I'm preaching to. I don't think about your life. Maybe your heart has been broken. It can be broken by a myriad of things. But it always happens, it seems like, when you're weak to begin with. When you're fatigued to begin with.
when you're weary to begin with, when you're already having muscle spasms to begin with, when you already feel beat up to begin with, it's when you face your highest hill, it seems like. But if you can just get over it, if you can just get over it, God's going to make something out of you phenomenal. He's going to make a leader out of you. You're going to make something great out of your life. If you can just get on the other side of Heartbreak Hill. There's the glory. There's the crown of righteousness waiting for you. There's peace and joy unspeakable. If you could just get to the other side. There's some folks here tonight that maybe you either face in Heartbreak Hill. Let me tell you what to do when you come up here. I'm finished. Bible said when, the, when Isaiah came to Hezekiah and said, Hezekiah, you're going to die and not live. The Bible said he turned his face toward the wall. Well, that makes me to know he must have had his back to the wall. <laughs> so if your back's against the wall, what do I want you to do? I want you to turn around and face the wall. And I want you to talk to the wall. He said, Lord, you know how I've walked before. I'm talking to the wall. I'm talking to the wall now, Lord. You know how I've walked before you with a perfect and an upright heart. You know, God, I'm talking to my wall now. Sometimes you talking to the air. You need to turn around and face the wall. Face the wall and talk. Pray to the wall. God, you know how I've walked before you, God. i got to get over this wall. i got to get over this hill. If I can just get over this hill, God, everything's going to be all right. We got enough preachers here to pray for somebody here in that shape tonight. I want you to have, I want you to have, you're not a weekender. You're not a social runner. You're in this to win the race. I want you to step out of your seat and come down. You, you feel like your back's against the wall. We're going to turn around and face it. You feel like you've got a spiritual opposition against you. You've got things that have come against you trying to break your heart, trying to wreck your home or wreck your marriage. Really, your children have broken your heart. You have lost children. You need to find just because kids will break your heart tonight. Kids will break your heart. But you've got to get over that wall. You've got to get over that hill. If you're going to make it, you've got to get over it. This is for leaders. This is not for weekend warriors. This is not for the social Christian. This is not for the man or the woman that's just in it to find a husband or wife. This is for people who want to endure to the end. The same shall be saved. What about it tonight? Heartbreak heal. Heartbreak heal. Thank you, Jesus. I want the rest of you maybe that are not there or you've already been there. I want you to come down, lay hands on these folks and pray with them. I'm serious, but when you're there, you need somebody to help you get over it. You need somebody to help me get over this hill. Somebody help me get over this hill. Somebody come along beside me. Somebody give me a little refreshing. Somebody give me a little encouragement. Somebody tell me I know you're going to make it. Get up beside somebody and tell them you know they're going to make it. I know you're going to make it. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour, I need thee. Oh, bless better than this. Me now, my you Savior. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, God, help her, Lord. I come help her in Jesus' name. God, renew her strength, Lord. Renew my strength in the Holy Ghost, Jesus. Help me, Lord, get over this hill. 
I need thee. You can do it, don't you? Don't you dare give up in Jesus' name. Every Don't you dare give up, my brother. Don't you dare. Don't you dare give up. You're going to get over this hill. Oh, bless. You're going to get over it in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Come on now. You can do this. Don't you dare give up. Don't you dare give up now. You have come too far. I come. You have come too far. You have come too far. To Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, I need thee. Don't you dare give up. Oh, I need thee. Every eye I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. Lord, I come. I come to Jesus I will praise you dear God restore my strength renew me in the Holy Ghost dear God give me what I need to make it oh God help me Lord over this hill help me get over this hill God because on the other side is victory on the other side is my victory oh God thank you Jesus don't you give up. No way. No way in the world. You're better than that. You're better than that. You can do this. You can do this. You can make it. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name you can make it. Yeah, yeah. yeah in Jesus' name you can make it. In Jesus' name you can make it. No way will I give up. No way will I surrender. I know it hurts. That's why they call it heartbreak. I know it hurts. Be strong in the Lord. Yeah, Jesus. You're not going to give up. You can make it. You can do this. You can do this. You can do this. You can do this. Jesus' name. That's why they call it heartbreak. You're a contender. You're a contender. You're a contender. Stretch yourself a little. Stretch yourself a little. Stretch out a little. Stretch yourself. You gotta give more. You gotta stretch out a little bit. Thank you, Jesus. He never offered. Victory without fighting. Yeah. Come on Death now. It would always come in time. 
all you can do this you can make it you can make it yes in Jesus name in Jesus name I gotta get over this hill I'm getting over this hill just hold on our Lord will show up and he will take you through the fire again glory to God hallelujah come on he never promised cross would not now is your time now is your time oh yes glory to God hallelujah he never offered Give yourself to him now. Finding Some of you have already been through. Y'all thank God for bringing you through. Oh, come on now. On the other side of the wall. Remember Lord, when you're standing. Oh, yes. The valley of the sea. Glory. Yeah, and yeah. the adversary says give Hallelujah. Yeah, hey, hey. Hold on. Hallelujah. There are some praying, asking God I to break them. Heartbreak healed. But some of you have already been through. You ought to be praising God for what he, where he brought you from. Where you are right now. Come on. Flame oh, yes. Mm. Hey. Oh, Glory. yeah. He never promised. Hallelujah. Cross would not get heavy. And the hill would not be hard to climb. Oh, yes. He never offered victory without fighting. Yes. Help would always come in time. Glory. Come on. Just hold on. Our Lord will show up. He will take you through the fire. Oh, he will do it for you. Come on. Right now. Right now. He never promised. Oh, yes. Glory. He never promised victory without fighting. It would always Glory to God. come in time. Hallelujah. Just in case if someone didn't come, you can come now. You don't have to stand back. Don't leave here tonight knowing. Don't leave here tonight knowing that God has spoken to your heart, spoken to your mind. Hallelujah. Don't leave here tonight knowing. You know what I'm saying? We've already been through. I want to say this. As Brother Osborne was preaching, it brought tears to my eyes. I've been there. I, didn't, I haven't told this many times to many folk. About 15, 20 years ago, I came to Heartbreak Hill. 
And I rode off and I considered to stop preaching. Y'all hear me? I know God called me to the ministry. I don't have any doubt about it. But I came to a place that I started to turn back. I said, I'm going to still be saved, but I just won't preach anymore. You see, if God can stop from telling the story, he'll stop people from being saved. Because how can you hear without a preacher? Come on now. And I, I made my mind up. I said, I'm not going to preach anymore. I said, I'm going to ride off. I said, I'm going to think about this thing. And I was riding off. And I rode down a road, a little dirt road. And there was those old, old fruit tree dried up. And I stopped that little Volkswagen Beeler there. And I prayed. And God gave me a message that says, A place in God that unless you go through, you'll never be blessed. Lord have mercy. You understand? Don't turn back on God because you had a hard time. Don't turn back on God because it's not easy. No cross, no crown. God gave me that message then. Now I said, Lord, I said, You give it to me, I'm going to preach it. I put the word out. I said, I want everybody to remember against him to please come Sunday. Because I have a word from the Lord. I said, there's a place in God. Some of you haven't reached that place yet. Some of you still going downhill. But don't worry, you're going up one day. Come on now. How to be ready. Yeah. Prepare yourself. Prepare yourself. The race not given to the swift, not the strong. But he didn't do it to the end. That's why you have to run off. Amen. And I want you to remember this because this thing is real now. I like the way he put it, placed it, about the Boston Marathon. That's why Jesus, that's why Jesus was such a great teacher. Because he taught things that people were familiar with and carried them into a spiritual realm. And I want you to understand if you want to go, want to go higher, you must press. And when you have done all, you can understand. He said, stand on. We were done. You can't stand anymore. The whole world against you. Stand right there. Hallelujah. Across the ground we stand on is holy ground. Stand on church. Are you encouraging that? Are you encouraging that? In school, the young people go to school. They picked out. They picked on. But stand in the house. For, for, for the one that you, the worst, you seem like your worst enemy in school well, is the one that's watching you. They're trying to break you. Because if you don't break that, encourage them to be saved also. Amen. On your job. Amen. In the community. Stand in the house. Your closest friend and relative. Stand in the house. I'm telling you now, church, we're going to have to stand now. Amen. Because I don't want to die and go to hell like a fool. No. Because when this life is over. When the last walk, when we walk the last mile away, then what will it be like? Where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? Where are you headed when you leave this place? Bible said, be not a forgiver here. Let's listen to what the man has said tonight. Because it was food for our soul. Whether we feel it or don't feel it, take it into consideration. And consider your, uh, your individual walk with God. Amen. Because the adversary knows he will tweak our unbelief. The very little thing that we think. We, he gives us a thought. He knows our weaknesses. And he'll work on our weaknesses. Didn't that what he said? That's what Heartbreak Hill is. He works on our weaknesses and we consider it. 
And we look around and see everybody laughing, everybody looking. Nobody looking at you, dear hearts. Because you looking bad at yourself. You look like a look like a grasshopper in your own eyes. Come on, somebody say me. But I'm looking to the hills for which coming my hair. Coming up another one. Give God a clap praise. Give him a clap praise in the house. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Shout out my Nasata. This message tonight can be the theme for the entire services. Because some I know haven't been to Heartbreak Hill. Our senior choir sang Sunday. They sang a song, after all I've been through, I still have joy. It was so touching because those senior saints, those with experience, and only those with experience can say so. The pastors, I listen to what he said real well. If you're going to make any kind of man of God at all, you're going to go through something. Amen. Come on now. Amen. You're going to go through something and you're going to have to cry. When you stop crying, encourage yourself in the Lord. Amen. When David and his men, when they, when, when, when they, when they stop crying, hey, amen, David got to encourage himself in the Lord when they blame him for doing what God said do. But David didn't charge God foolishly. David turned around and encouraged himself in the Lord. And they followed. Where he leads, my will follow. Let's go higher. Let's do more. Let's. Let's turn around. You know what God said while brother was preaching? Somebody need to turn around. It's easy for the faithful, the contenders, to come up and say, Lord, I want to go. But I thought about the contenders and pretenders. Come on, That need to talk to yourself about yourself to God. And if we don't acknowledge, I need help. Because the secret thing belongs to God. But we know some things that God knows that we need to give to him. I don't see why we can't give it to him tonight. Because this is not, everyone stand back up again. This is our opportunity. This is our opportunity. If we could just get one individual in the house, could acknowledge there's something in me and I want out. All these brothers here to pray for you. I tell you what, we have some power in this house. And I think this is a good opportunity. Because each time we neglect a word as this, the enemy gets strong against us. Next time, this won't touch us. But we touch now, we bless now. Come on now. Don't leave here. I plead with you. I plead with you. I plead with you. Come right now. In the name of Jesus. Let's give them a clap. Please, they come. Just one. I don't want to see just one. If one go. All right. I'm not going to ask all night because the time is late. But I know what God told me now. And this is our opportunity. Amen. Don't let the devil have a stronghold on you. When you're here in the house of God, have an opportunity. Now, you may think nobody knows it, but each pastor knows his people. And I'm sure some of the men will say, well, they need to come. But you can't make them come. All you can do is ask them. Because it's your free will to come and be blessed.
And I declare God is here tonight. One more opportunity. Come now. Matahasa. Oh, there's some more. No, 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 shut up. There's some more. Oh, shit, here. Come, mama. There's some more. Come on. Be honest now. Nobody but you and Jesus. God already knows. The devil knows, and God already knows. But you have to free yourself. God has handcuffed us. But there's not a key on the handcuff. It's a combination, and you have the combination to lose yourself. Amen? Ask God to help you now. Cry to the Lord because enough is enough. This is God's house and God's spiritual hospital. We come to be here. Hallelujah! We come to be healed! We may look well, we're not where to look sometimes. I thought about I came here. Many people don't know I had another hip surgery since I last saw. March the 15th of last year, I had my right hip replaced. I already had the left one replaced and the right knee. But March the 15th last year, I had the right hip replaced. But I'm still holding on. And God is still on the throne. But I believe that you can contact God now. Just by the mere fact you step. Cold on order, shut up. Healing and deliverance. For the mere fact, you say, Lord, it's me. I'm not waiting on somebody, anybody else. Because guess what? Anybody else went home, but I'm here. Come on and pray, saints. Call on Jesus. Call him anyhow. It may not be popular. Woo! Hey, ha, ha. May not be what somebody think it ought to be. But I'm here to say, we here, we come to save souls. We come to touch God that God might touch us. Reach out your hand to God to Lord, save me from my sin and myself. There's a stigmatism. Ooh, she hit him all. A stigmatism. I was saying, trying to tear us down. And you know what? He tried to get the good ones. He don't, he don't care anything about somebody that's sorry, no good. He want to get somebody that, that can, can turn others away. If he steal your anointing, he can steal your blessing. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on, church. Come on now. Hallelujah. Man, I see the big picture. See, see, see. Hallelujah. Call him anyhow. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, hallelujah. Let your Holy Spirit reign in this place. Let your Holy Spirit rule, hallelujah, in the name of Jesus. Lord, I know you're able to do all things. Do them abundantly well for your name's sake. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Shout out higher. Go beyond the wall. Because, Lord, I need you now. Lord, I cry. I'm crying, Lord. Lord, help me, help me, help me. Woo! Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, 
Somebody be in the living right now. Hey, man, I yield to the higher power. Old thing gonna pass away and all things gonna become new now. How you be free? Free to run this race as a contender and not a contestant. Free to run on beyond the wall. Enough is enough. So you enough is enough. Enough is enough. My taha mahaya. Oh, come on, come on now. Glory to God in the high. Shout out that I shout out my high. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Does your soul say yes? Does your soul say yes? Shout out my high. Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. I know maybe you're ready to go. No, I don't want to keep you because we can. But I, I believe somebody here needed that touch. And I'd rather take the time. There are many more of you in here that could have come and didn't come because you won't move yourself out of the way. You know what your need is. And now is, a, is one of the best times. If you'd move it out of the way, then you got the rest of this to enjoy yourself. I don't know what it is, don't know, and really don't care. Except the fact that God wants to deliver you. That's what's important. Somebody's getting it. And that's all that matters. Praise the Lord. Don't forget. Amen. Tomorrow, service at 11 o'clock. Brother Spell is going to be teaching the Bible study tomorrow or preaching at what's on his mind. We'll be hearing some from Brother Allen, different ones. Come. I wish we had time to hear from all the preacher because I enjoy listening myself. But let's everybody give the Lord a hand right now. If you'd stand with me at this time. Amen. I know you've been sitting a while and you relaxed in that seat, so you need to stand up. Amen. Hello. Don't forget, pray for the service tomorrow. Pray for God's will to be done. And let's believe God for a miracle, okay?